motivation is self-motivation because I'm not going to be there 24 seven. I'm not going to be your alarm clock. I'm not going to get you out of bed. I'm not going to force you to go on this diet and eat this food and work out and, and be at this place at this time and do this work. I can't do any of that. Only you can. But what I can do is I can inspire you. I can inspire you to motivate yourself. And once you motivate it, you take action. And once you take action, you start to see results. And once you start to see results, you inspire yourself. You're listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes, where you'll hear real stories of the journey to modern manhood told by the men who lived them. Raw, real, and 100% unapologetic. And now, here is your host, Eric Rogel. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Eric Rogel, and this is Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can probably tell from the clip you just heard, I've got a really, really great episode for you today. It's about motivation. It's about discipline. It's about getting uncomfortable and really pushing yourself. So that clip that you just heard, that was Jason Van Camp talking about self-motivation. And I'll tell you guys, Jason knows more than a little bit about that. Jason is a man who is driven, a man who pushes himself and a man who is very comfortable being very uncomfortable. Here's a little bit about Jason. He's a a West Point graduate. While he was there, he played linebacker for the Army Black Knights. And when he got out and got into service, he was both an Army Ranger and a Green Beret, and he served as detachment commander for the 10th Special Forces Group. And during his 14 years in the Army, Jason led nearly 300 combat missions And he also created and commanded one of the largest foreign internal defense force in U.S. history, training nearly 4,000 Iraqi and Kurdish soldiers in things like hand-to-hand combat, raid and patrolling techniques, and unconventional warfare. And um, during his service, Jason earned numerous awards, including several bronze stars, including a V device for valor. Uh, And this was during numerous combat rotations in Middle East and in Africa. Now, when he retired from military service, Jason then earned an MBA from Brigham Young University. And he's also a Wall Street Journal, Amazon, and USA Today bestselling author. And guys, I'm going to recommend his book to you because it is is one of my favorites. It's a fantastic book. It's called Deliberate Discomfort, How U.S. Special Operations Forces Overcome Fear and dare to win by getting comfortable being uncomfortable. It's basically your Bible to getting up, getting out, getting uncomfortable, and winning. It's fantastic. And in 2009, he founded Mission 6-0, a leadership consulting firm where he employs Medal of Honor recipients, U.S. Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, and other special ops team members, uh, and they help train his clients in how to command a team, and command themselves. So as you're listening to this, and as you're getting all this great info from Jason, and as he's telling his story, I'd like you to do this. Don't just think about how you can put his strategies to work. I want you to think of a couple of people you know who will also get value from what he's saying. And then forward this episode to him. It's that simple. And you know, both Jason and I would really appreciate that. And I guarantee so will the people that you turn on to this episode. So please do that. So now let's get into my conversation with Jason. Now, after reading his list of accomplishments, the first thing that I wanted to know was if he was always this driven. 
So Jason, you know, what, what I want to know is, you know, looking at your bio, looking at all the things that you've done, have, have you always been this driven, this disciplined, or is this something that you developed uh, over time? You know, that's a great question. I, I would say that I was born with a sense of determination and I, I was driven at a young age, but it was also something that I had to learn. You know, people say it's leadership. Are you born with it or is it something that you develop over time? And the answer is both. And the question you're asking me is, was I always driven? And the answer is both. You know, at a young age, I was always very competitive. You know, I always wanted to do more. I wanted to have more. I wanted to be more. I just didn't know what that looked like. You know, when you're a young kid, it's like, I want to have more toys. I want to play more sports. I want to be the best at the sport that I'm playing. I want to be selected for the all-star team. You know, that's kind of what drove me because it seemed more fun. It seemed like there were more opportunities. And as, as I grew up, I realized, I think every year you realize, Hey man, I'm getting better. And last year was easy. You know, the only easy day was yesterday, you know, sort of thing. I'm so much better now than I was yesterday. And, and if you continue along that mindset, you know, it's, what I'm talking about is this deliberate discomfort mindset. It's getting comfortable being uncomfortable. It's embracing hard things, doing hard things intentionally, deliberately, voluntarily, because, you know, brother, listen, hard times are going to come, whether you like it or not. And you got to choose hard things or the hard things are going to choose you, you know, and that's how I look at it. And so, um, you know, being driven is something that I was born with and is something that I, I learned to develop over time. Now, now, did you have mentors doing this? Like, was there someone that kind of sparked this in you? Or did you seek out people that were going to help push you a little bit further? You know, coaches, mentors, teachers, that kind of thing. Or, um, you know, did you have uh, people like that in your life as you were as you were pushing yourself and getting deliberately uncomfortable as you were pushing? I always sought mentors. Always. Always wanted to find people that I could bring into my tribe, into my network to help me. Like growing up, uh, my mother was always the one that was very positive and very encouraging and believed in me. And my dad was always the guy, you know, after a game, he's like, well, you sucked. You know what I mean? Like you could have done a lot better. Like you played like a, you know, whatever. And he always kind of motivated me that in that way. And so uh, I wanted to please both my mother and my father. And my, my father was harder to please, you know. And then growing up, I had all sorts of different coaches, some of them went that route where, you know, uh, I'm going to be really hard on Jason. I'm not going to encourage him and feed him a lot of negative, negative, uh, you know, reinforcement. And that, that very rarely worked for me. I, I always resonated with a coach or a mentor or somebody that said, Jason, you know, I've got your back You know, I believe in you, you know, I, I believe that you can do this and now we have to work hard to get there. You know, like, plenty of coaches I've, I've played for, you know, or mentors that I've had in the military, you could tell that they didn't care about you at all. They're only in it for themselves. They were using you as a tool to get to their next, you know, plateau or whatever that might be. And, um, and that never resonated with me, you know, and I never felt any loyalty to them. I never wanted to play harder or play better for them. You know what I mean? Because it was about them. It wasn't about the team. It wasn't about the mission. And so, uh, and I'm constantly looking for more people to bring into the tribe. You know, there's there's unlimited bandwidth for, for my tribe, my network. Bring more people in. If you can add value, if you can uh, support the mission, 
you know, if you can help each other out, I'm all for it. I'll bring you in. Yeah. You know, and that's so important, man, because, um, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show for, for a lot of us, a lot of men, especially it's, it can be difficult to kind of reach out to other men and say, Hey man, I want to bring you in. I want to learn from you. I want to, you know, absorb what it is that, you know, I, I want you to push me a little bit. Um, I know that was for me, a lot of my life, it was like, no, no, if I'm going to be a man, I got to be able to handle this. Like I've got to do it myself. So, but for you, it's always been about seeking out that, that mentor that can help push you a little bit more. I think more recently, cause I was a lot like you, like I was very selective, you know, I was very slow to bring people into my network growing up. I think that was just the culture that we grew up in. Like being a man is not asking for help. Being a man is knowing everything. Being a man is not being vulnerable. Being a man is like holding it all inside. And now I think in the last 15 years, especially with guys coming back from combat and like, and, and, and all that, like, say, listen, being a man is not that. Being a man is like being vulnerable and being courageous enough to expose your heart and say, listen, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. I need help because, you know, we all are. And I think once we all started doing that, I think more people were like, wow, like I, I'm in that boat too, man. You know, like let's, let's talk. Let's help each other out. Um, starting a business, you know, could I do it by myself? No. Like, and I can't, you know, I need, I need people on my team, on my tribe to help. That's the only way we can, we can do it. You know, they always say, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with a team, you know, and I've always been a team guy, played team sports my entire life. And, uh, and I played some individual sports as well. And when I did something well, won a championship, a trophy individually, you know, it was cool and everything, but it wasn't nearly as memorable or as powerful impactful as it was when we won a championship as a team because you hoist that trophy as a team you look at the guys faces around you and their smiles that's what memories are made of and you realize you know life isn't about trophies it's about people and it's about the journey that you take with those people and that's what life is all about yeah you know now that you're in business and you have a you know real successful business you know mission six zero we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit but you know, it's the same thing. I would ask you, you know, as a leader now, right? Uh, not sports and coaches, but now you've got managers, leaders, and team members, coworkers, you know, um, people that are there is, you know, the trophies are different, right? The, the achievements are different, but is that, you know, what, what gives you kind of the same high is when, when you achieve whatever that is and you look around at the people that are on your business team and you guys have won this together, um, is, is that something that drives you now? Oh, hell yeah, man. Definitely. You know, when we set a goal and we accomplish it as a team, that's exciting. When we bring a new person onto the team and we empower that person to, uh, to accomplish the mission and they do it, man, that's, that's awesome. You know, I, I never like to... Um, kind of do it myself and then give someone credit for it. I, I give somebody, you know, the task condition standards, the timeline, you know, this is what I want you to do. Go do it. I'm not going to do it for you. you. Got any questions, ask me and leave it up to them to succeed or fail. And when they succeed, man, it's, it's awesome because it shows them, you know, it solidifies what I told them on our first day in our first meeting which is, I believe in you. The reason why you're here is I value you, you're valuable, and I believe in you. Now let's get to work. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you say that. I just wrote down a note that said belief as you were talking about that and how important that is. You know, it's that, 
And that's the thing you said you, that came from your mom. It was that positive side, right? I believe in you. I'm going to give you this responsibility. And now I'm going to let you, you know, training wheels are off. I'm going to let you go out, do your thing, see if you succeed or fail. We're here if you fail. We're here if you stumble. But we're going to believe in you and let you go and give you everything you can. So, yeah, to me, it's like, you know, your leadership style is the one you wanted cultivated when you were that young kid playing sports. Exactly. And it was refined through my experiences in life and at West Point, uh, you know, in combat, you know, doing all the things that I've done is uh, I've, I've met all these incredible leaders and some terrible ones as well, you know, and, and you kind of like, all right, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's a, let me write that down. I'll put, I'll write that in a book one day, you know? Uh, and then there've been some amazing leaders who are like, oh my gosh, man, I can't stop taking notes with this guy. You know, like my hand can't write fast enough for this, for this, uh, this gold that's coming out of this guy's mouth right now. And so I've always been positive. Uh, that always resonated with me. And that's how I like to lead as well. Being very positive, being very forgiving, being very merciful. Uh, at the same time saying, hey, listen, this is the mission. This is the goal. This is what we want you to do. At the end of the day, when we give you a timeline, you didn't get it done. Why not? Well, what happened? You know, like this is a results-based business as well. Like you didn't, you didn't do it. You know, I gave you a shot. You didn't do it. So now I'll take some things away from you. You know, like if you're playing at a, a level five, I'm going to bring you down to level three or level four and see how you perform. And then once I know kind of where you're at, then we can slowly start to build you up to where you can get to level five and six and seven and so forth. So do you deliberately make your, your employees or your team, you know, your tribe, your team members um, uncomfortable? Because it sounds like, you know, there's got to be a challenge for them too. If it's too easy, you make it too easy. I find personally, I don't know how you find this, but you know, it, it, some people that doesn't motivate them. All. They want that challenge. They want to be pushed. They want to prove themselves too. So has you got that built into your team as well? Almost definitely. So we talk all about that in Deliver Discomfort Chapter 2, self-determination theory. Like what do you need in order to um, be successful? Because... Ultimately, I'll tell you, a lot of my clients, especially the professional athletes, they say, Jason, motivate me. Motivate me, man. That's, that's what I need. And I'm like, man, listen, I'm not going to motivate you. I'm not going to try to motivate you. And they're kind of dumbfounded. They're like, well, what? I thought that's what you did. And I said, no, nah, man. The only motivation is self-motivation because I'm not going to be there 24-7. I'm not going to be your alarm clock. I'm not going to get you out of bed. I'm not going to force you to go on this diet and eat this food and work out and and be at this place at this time and do this work. I can't do any of that. Only you can. But what I can do is I can inspire you. I can inspire you to motivate yourself. And once you motivate it, you take action. And once you take action, you start to see results. And once you start to see results, you inspire yourself. You inspire yourself to get motivated, to take action. And so it's a full circle, the way that I look at it. And, um, and to each his own, the employees that I have on my team, some of them, we need to go really slow with, with pushing them into discomfort, you know? And some of them, you know, you, you don't jump into the deep end right away. And it's like, man, this is awesome. Go for it. And some of them, you know, they'll jump into the deep end right away and they'll realize this is more than I can handle or I bit off more than I can chew. All right, well, we'll, we'll pull them out of the deep end and we'll, you know, stick them into a, another spot in the pool to swim. And then we kind of build them up in that way. And then that's, that's the way I do it. I don't like to go super fast. I like to see how people perform. 
uh, at a, at a low level first and then sort of kind of go down that path. Uh, I always tell my, my chief of staff all the time, cause he's a guy that likes to turn the volume up. I always tell him, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast and, and don't rush to failure, man. You know, just don't rush to failure. And that's something we learn in the military. And they say a lot of repeat that for me too. Cause I think we, we blinked out for a second. So you were saying slow it. Oh, sure. Brother. Uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And the other one that I tell my chief of staff is don't rush to failure. Yeah. You know, cause he's always trying to go fast and, and it's like, you know, it, going fast is good sometimes, but you drop balls, you lose focus, you forget things, you know, um, it's sloppy. You yeah. know I mean, we don't, we don't, I don't like that. And I don't, um, I don't want my team to be, have that reputation. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you said some of that stuff you took from the military. Now you went to West Point, um, you know, we're in the army, um, Green Beret, combat. Are these some of the things that you learned in the military? Because look, people look at the military and, and a lot of, you know, special operators and they, they're like, these guys move quick. They move fast. They're out there. Do but it's, it's rigorous training, rigorous planning. Everything's down to the, you know, the last detail and then contingency on top of contingency. And so give me a little bit from that, from your days at West Point and in the army and some of the bigger lessons that you learned from there that you took. Oh man, so many lessons, so many lessons. Number one, um, I learned that I hated West Point. That was not my <laughs> wasn't your jam, huh? No, it wasn't my jam. It's a great place to be from, but not a great place to be at, is what they say. <laughs> and uh, and that was just um, that for me at that time, Jason Van Camp and West Point did not mix well together, you know, and um, teach his own, right? And and um, I can look back in life and 20, you know, hindsight's 2020. I can look back and I can say, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, and I have a lot of regrets, but when those mistakes and regrets are learning experiences and, and the best experiences, learning experiences you can get is through failure, you know, and, um, met a lot of people, you know, and my mind was expanded. I got a chance to leave for two years and serve a mission for my church to Russia. So I, I learned Russian fluently and, you know, I, I won an award at West Point, uh, General Lefke Award for Excellence in Foreign Languages, and and this whole thing. So, um, it was a, it was a difficult experience, West Point. But you know, to your point, like what lessons have I learned? In Chapter One of Deliberate Discomfort, my company commander, my boss, asked me the same thing. He's like, "Hey, what leadership lessons have you learned?" And I kind of laughed a little bit, and I was like, "Well, where do I even begin?" And he said, what would you tell a brand new second lieutenant graduating from West Point for the first time about leadership? And I would say, well, I guess uh, officers eat last. You know, your team needs to know that you care about them more than you care about yourself. And it's easy to say that. It's hard to demonstrate that. It's hard to act. Uh, and one of the ways you can do that is when you're hungry and when you all sit down to eat, you know, in the field or at the chow hall or whatever, you always make sure your guys, your team, they eat first. They got the good food and you eat last. And sometimes there isn't enough food. So you're kind of eating scraps. And that's sort of the opposite mentality in a lot of militaries around the world where the officers, you know, they eat first, they eat the best food. And when they're done, then everybody else can eat, you know, and in and, and the U.S. Army, we do it differently or in the U.S. military, we do it differently. And that's a great lesson to learn. 
the second and probably most importantly is, you know, um, everything that you do or fail to do is your responsibility as a commander. So when you're an officer, when you're in charge, you know, um, everything that happens, you know, is on you. And there are times like, for example, um, a situation I talk about in the book very briefly that really happened to me was I got very sick on a mission, very sick. And I went to the hospital and uh, my team lost a lot of ammunition on this mission. And uh, I didn't know about it. I was in the hospital. You know, I, I healed up, went back to the team. Nobody told me anything about it. I had no idea. And then ultimately it came to light that this ammunition was missing. You know, Van Camp, where is it? Let me find out. I don't know. You know, was I there? Did I give this order? Did I have anything to do with it? No, but I, it was my team and it was my responsibility. And looking back on it, you know, you you have to say to yourself, I could have done things better. I could have briefed my guys better. I could have made it more clear that we're not going to do stuff like this. I could have uh, put better processes in place to make sure that, you know, this didn't happen. You know, that's the sort of thing we talk about in the military when we say it's your responsibility. You take accountability, you take ownership of these sort of things. And that's sort of a foreign concept, I think, in the corporate world, in corporate America, uh, which is why that, that resonates so well in corporate America. And the third thing I tell, I told my boss, and I'll tell you now, is uh, trust your NCOs. You know, the, the, your NCOs, your non-commissioned officers, they're your guys that are, you know, your boots on the ground, your blue-collar guys, the guys that get the job done. And, uh, and my boss at the time, he said, Jason, how has that worked out for you? And I said, well, trusting my NCOs? He's like, yeah. And I had to really think about it for a minute and think about my experiences thus far in, in the military. And I said, it hasn't worked out super well. And he said, well, you know, I understand completely. What I'm telling you is don't trust your NCOs. And I was shocked because, you know, like a man, um, to a man, like a knee-jerk reaction at West Point, when you asked, you know, an NCO or an officer, hey, what advice do you have for, for me about to lead men into combat? They said, trust your NCOs. I was like, well, you're going to have to explain yourself, sir. Like, what do you mean? He said, well, Jason, there are good NCOs and bad NCOs in the Army, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, they're good officers and bad officers in the Army, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, you'll find the same in the Special Forces. They're good NCOs and bad NCOs, good officers and bad officers. And I don't want just to blindly trust someone because of their rank, because they have a couple of chevrons and rockers on their uniform insignia. You know, I want you to get to know these people. You know, that's the hard thing. That's uncomfortable. Like to take the time to have those conversations, to get to know this person as an individual, and then you determine what level of trust you're going to give him or her. And uh, that really resonated with me at the time. And I remember, you know, uh, as I went through my special forces career, there were guys that I was in combat with in a trench, you know, we're, we're firing our guns, you know, taking bullets, maneuvering. And I was like, man, this guy right here, like he's guy, like he's got my back. Like if I ever get into a firefight, this NCO right here, man, this guy, I want him. But when we go back to the garrison, when we go back to, to the States, he's a guy that I couldn't trust to, to not get a DUI, to not go out to a bar and, and get into a fight, to not beat his wife. I couldn't trust him to do that, you know, and, and vice versa. There were guys back in the rear that, you know, if we did a sensitive items inventory or we had a report or we had a presentation, this guy would crush it. You know, I could trust this guy all day. He'd do a phenomenal job, this NCO. But then when we went to combat, he was useless. You know what I mean? Like he just, he was froze up, you know, he didn't make good decisions. He was frazzled. And, um, 
and you got to understand that, that to each his own, like you can't just blindly trust everybody because that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. You know, and a lot of people ask me about this and I say, listen, when you go to a doctor and they give you a terminal diagnosis, do you say, okay, thanks doc. I guess that's it. Or do you get a second opinion? You know what I mean? Don't just blindly trust anybody, you know, find out who they are, have those conversations because it's uncomfortable and then go forward in that fashion. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume that this is part of what you do when you're working with business leaders, right? Because it's the same thing in business as it is, uh, you know, in military, you're going to have guys that are leading teams in business that are amazing in the trenches and they're a wreck at home and vice versa. So, I mean, is it the same thing you do? You tell these guys, look, you got to have these uncomfortable conversations with your people, get to know your team. Cause I can tell you right now, I've worked in a lot of companies where, you know, early in my career where I had managers on top of managers and I'm not even sure they knew my name, let alone what I was capable of, you know? So what you're saying, I think translates so importantly from military to business life. Uh, brother, no doubt it does, you know, because when you get hired for a position and a job, they look at your resume and they just assume it's all facts. It's sort of, you know, pretty embellished you know, blade running between truth and lie on your resume a little bit. And then they're like, oh, this guy must be an amazing leader. Here's your new team, go lead. And this person's like, well, you know, I'm, how do I do that? Who are these people? How do I lead? What do I do? And you find out that people become confused and disgruntled and they are, you know, they don't understand what to do and how to do things because the people that are in charge, they have other things that they're worrying about other things that are on their plate and they're overwhelmed. They don't have the time to sit down and have these conversations and to, to really get to know their people and to help them lead their people. And so when we do our workshops at Mission Six Zero, we find out, you know, each and every single person that takes our workshop, what are your values? So important. Who are you? You know, for me, uh, you got to whittle it down to three to five values. And for me, determination, resourcefulness, and loyalty. That's who I am. That's what I'm all about. Those are the values that resonate best with me. So I hire people that also display those types of values. Um, and when I meet people that also value determination, resourcefulness, and loyalty, you know, and, and that sort of thing, like we become best friends. I'm like, this, this guy or girl is really resonating with me. Like we're on the yeah. same page. This is awesome. And the second thing I ask is, you know, What's your vision? What's your dream? Like, what do you want to accomplish with your life? Not just here with Mission Six Zero or Warrior Rising, but with your life. And a lot of people know that right off the bat. I say, okay, I'm going to help you accomplish that. By you working here, you know, we're going to together get to this spot where you want to go. And sometimes people don't know. And they're just, they're just sort of lost. Like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. You got to figure it out. You know, because I believe that the purpose of life is to find your gift and the meaning of life is to give that gift away. You know, and if you don't know what you want to do is like you're living a, a life that doesn't have any purpose. So you got to figure that out. You know? Yeah, you know, um, what, I, I love what you're saying there, too, about that, because, you know, title of the show is Warriors, Lovers, Kings and Heroes. And I tell people all the time, you got to as a leader, you've got to create kings and queens on your team right? You've got to create them around you. And one of the ways to do that is what you just said, find out what's your dream, what's your vision, what's your ultimate goal, and then we're going to help you get there. And I think too many businesses 
um, or, you know, organizations in general, they, they get selfish and say, no, this guy's really good at doing this and we don't want to lose him from doing this. So we're going to keep him there and not let him grow into something greater, right? Not let him, you know, uh, live his dream. What you're saying is, hey, we get somebody in, the, in, in you know, Mission 6-0 working in your organization and we want to do whatever we can to get them to their dream, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because they're going to get to the dream eventually, you know, anyway, you might as well be the catalyst for that, or you might as well help them along the way. Because once you buy into them, I promise you, they're going to buy into you. And when you're an employer, when you're a leader, when you're, you know, a high level executive, when you're a decision maker, when you're somebody that has a million things to do, you know, you have to do the uncomfortable thing, you know, and go out of your way to get to know your people. That's the only way you can develop that culture that you need in order to succeed because you're not gonna be everywhere at all times. You know, you can't. You gotta hire people you can cultivate and groom to be the decision makers that you want them to be when you're not around. You know, you need people that are problem solvers. And that's what we do at Mission Six Zero. When we have these workshops, when we have these, these conversations, we find the values, we find out what your dream is. We find out if you're a good fit for the company. You know, and oftentimes we'll tell this employer, the decision maker, hey, you need to promote this person. They're ready to go. And, and sometimes we're like, hey, listen, this person, we need to do some remedial training with them or you need to let them go. Like one or the other, like because this is not working and they're sort of bringing the whole team down. Like in the military, you'll have um, a three-man team, for example, of, of guys that are a fire team. They have a, a 240, a M240, which is a machine gun, right? And uh, one guy's got the tripod and the equipment. The other guy's got the ammo. And, and all of a sudden, one guy kind of stands out as sort of a leader on that team. You know, and you want to promote him. And so what we do in the military is we don't just say, all right, now you're in charge of these nine guys. You know, we don't just do that. We send them to a leadership school where they learn how to do this. And then when they're ready to go back, we don't send them back to the same team. We send them back to a different team with different people that they don't know. Right. And we need to start doing more of that in corporate America. You know, and that's what Mission Six Zero teaches. And we teach it the right way. Yeah. And what I love about you were saying before too, is when, you know, when you, when you get these people and you, you push them, get them uncomfortable, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about self-motivation, right? They become self-motivated because now they know you've got their back and they're ready to go. And the other thing that came up was, you know, one of your values, it's loyalty. They become loyal to you because they know you are loyal to them and you've got their back and that goes towards your determination. And, you know, and I love that, Obviously, you and I had a conversation uh, before we started recording this about, you know, values and stuff. And we have, you know, our sacred seven, you know, courage, honesty, integrity, commitment, duty, honor, love. And that's the thing I look for when I work with anyone is, you know, are you, you know, are you living in those? Are you a man of integrity? Right. Are you committed? Are you, are you, you know, can you honor? And, you know, it's funny. I want to get to this, too, because honor is a big thing. And, you know, I'll tell you. I'm looking at your bio, right? And we're going to have that up. And you've gotten, you know, just an incredible amount of accolades, accomplishments, all of these kind of things. And guys may look at that. And I know for myself, you know, years ago, it would have been something I would have looked at and said, well, you know, screw this guy. He's, you know, done so much. He's accomplished. I don't even want to get on the phone with him. I don't want to meet him. He makes me feel like I haven't done enough, right? That kind of thing. We look at those. 
when you look at it from a perspective of honor and going, wow, man, that's, that's just some incredible stuff. I've found that when I actually sit down and talk to men that have accomplished these things like yourself, I ask, you know, what are some of the chat? What pushed you? What are some of the challenges that you hit coming up? Cause we're only looking at the good stuff. We're looking at the, you know, the medals, the green beret, the NBA going to, you know, Russia and doing the, the mission, uh, starting a successful company. We see all those things. What we don't see is, you know, Van Camp had to go through some shit to get there. And, and that's kind of the stuff that I like to hear about. So tell me about some of the things that you had to face and overcome either in the military career, business, both, and any of the stuff that stands out to you? Yeah, great, great question. And, and th thank you for, for saying all that. And it's, it is uncomfortable for me to hear all that, but that's what I'm all about is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, and uh, I look at myself and I'm like, wow, look what I've accomplished or anything. I, trust me, I'm the last guy that would ever think that. I look, at the, I look at the future. I look at what's ahead of me. I look at my friends that have accomplished more than me. And I'm like, I got to get there. Like, that's what I'm looking at. And I'm not looking at my competitors and I'm, and I'm not saying I want to destroy them. I want to, you know, take them out and sabotage them. I'm not even really paying attention to them. I'm aware of what they, they're, they have going on. And if they ever wanted to reach out to me and say, you know, Jason, let's collaborate, let's work together, you know, cooperate and graduate. I'm all in hundred percent. I'm all about, you know, let's eat together. You know, let's, let's, you know, bring more people to the table and just expand the table. You know what I mean? That's what I'm all about. Um, and to your point too, like there are plenty of guys where um, my initial reaction when I, when I hear about them or, or the re read their resume or kind of get a, a sense, I'm like, I'm a little defensive, you know, like, I don't know about this guy, you know, maybe we'll see. And uh, more oftentimes than not, when we actually have a conversation, I'm like, this is a good dude. This is a great guy. Like we could be, we could be friends. We could hang out. Why did I think he was such a jerk? You know what I mean? Like just because of maybe some, competitiveness or jealousy or envy or whatever it might be it's 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 um and that's normal i think it's normal to be defensive a little bit because you don't want to always have your expose your heart and have your heart open to everything you gotta you gotta be smart about you know how you how you display that um uh but but back to your original question all right so uh repeat that one again please about the challenges some of the stuff that you've gone through to kind of that kind of pushed you to get to where you are yeah, the challenges for me, it's, there's so many different ones, but the ones that really stick out to me are uh, the friends that I've lost along the way, mm. you know, and I wouldn't say that there's been so many, but there's been a few and it's been really disappointing to me. Um, and it's all been a result of, of communication, miscommunication, you know, it's been a result of, um, you know, when things are tough, emotions get charged. And, you know, especially when your family is on the line or money is on the line or, or whatever, you know, it, it gets really hard. It gets really tough. And you learn, like I said, you learn as you go in life. And how I've looked at it is whenever I bring somebody new to the team, whether they're a friend or somebody brand new, I always try to set up clear expectations right from the beginning. Like, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what you should expect. Let me answer any questions you might have, right? Because they might be thinking something that you haven't even thought of. You haven't even considered. They might be thinking something that's like, it's not even a thing. It's not even correct. Well, I thought that we were going to make a million dollars after a year. And then you were going to give me half of that. Like, well, where, where on earth were you thinking that? Like, how, how did that ever come up? 
You know what I mean? Um, and the other thing is you gotta you gotta be aware of what's going on in the other person's life, especially with the spouse. Because the spouse is gonna control everything. Like a lot of the guys on my team are, are are men and and their wives, when they're not on board, that's not happening. Like it's not even a thing. Like they they're not even on my team really if the wife isn't on board because it'll ruin their marriage and that's the last thing that I want. You know, I I believe that family and marriage is number one and you shouldn't sacrifice anything for that, you know. And um you know, and number two, like as my guy is working hard, if and she's not really bought in, but she said she was, like she's gonna dig and and eventually it's gonna add up and add up and add up to a blow up. And either the guy's gonna blow up on me or his wife, and I'd rather him blow up on me than his than his wife. And so that's kind of, you know, some of the challenges I faced is dealing with people's emotions, you know, especially when they're friends of mine. And then um you know, being aware of and, you know, cognizant about the fact that it's hard to bring friends into your business, you know, so that's what I'll tell you. Yeah. You know, that's fascinating that you say that. And, and it's interesting because, you know, my expectation, and I know some of the guys listening expectation might be like, well, you know, when I was in the army and I was training to be a green beret, I hit up against this and this and this, you know, physical stuff. And, and the greatest challenge that you're coming at is an emotional challenge, right? Dealing with, some of these things that so many of us are not prepared or taught or trained to deal with the physical stuff you can deal with. All right, well, I've got to do this many miles on a hike, or I've got to do, you know, this much you know, exercise or fire the you know weapons this, you know, at, at these targets and score this much on those are things that we're trained to do, but it's that emotional that you just brought up that is so challenging to so many of us because we don't have an owner's manual for that. So, you know, we don't, we weren't trained in how to deal with bringing a friend into a business or hiring a guy and his wife is like, you know, nope. I mean, those are pretty serious challenges. No doubt. And in the military, it's like, Hey, you're showing some emotion. Oh, you're showing weakness. Are you quibbling? Like, just do it. Like, what do you like? What do you mean? Like, that's like how they, how we respond to it a lot of times. Like, are, are you complaining? No, no, sir. Okay. I didn't think I, I heard any complaining. Just want to make sure and not move out. You know what I mean? Like that sort of is the mentality. But in business, you know, most of my time, most of my day is dealing with people's emotions. It's dealing with people that are upset about something or they want to be heard mm-hmm. or they have a complaint. And, and like I say in the book, in Deliver Discomfort, complaining with solutions is problem solving. Because uh, com- if you're complaining about something, it just shows me that you care. Because if you didn't care, you wouldn't say anything. And so you're complaining about something, you got to provide me with a solution or you're just complaining. So that's what I tell all my people. And uh, a lot of times they're complaining about things that they just want to, like I said, they just want to be heard. They don't want any me to do anything about it. They just want someone to listen to them and hear them out and, uh, and acknowledge what they're saying. Um, you know, and then uh, people don't like each other for some reason, or somebody said this to the other person and it hurt their feelings and that sort of thing that's not something that we dealt with a lot in the military, you know, like you just deal with it, move on, suck it up, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it's much more, you know, healthy environment now, like in, in the, in the business world than it was, uh, at, at the time in the military. And, um, and it's more, more productive, I think right now. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So you know what? I want to get into this, uh, you know, your, your concept of deliberate discomfort, right? The book, it's what you do in Mission Six Zero with your clients. So tell us a little bit about that, because, you know, I, I always, I talk a lot about, you know, getting out of the comfort zone, pushing into the unknown, making yourself uncomfortable, giving yourself, you know, a, a big challenge to face. So, so give me some of the ways that you create this deliberate discomfort. And I'm, and again, is it, much like what you did with your employees where you, you know, you fast tracked them or gave them the feedback based on who they are personally and, and their own personalities. Do you do the same thing with the delivered discomfort with your clients based on who they are and how much they can handle and, and what that specific discomfort might be? Very much so. So the book delivered discomfort, you know, it, it's under the umbrella of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. That's what we teach. That's our curriculum. So if you read the book, Deliberate Discomfort, and you can get it um, you know, on Amazon or anywhere where books are sold. Uh, it's a number one Amazon bestseller. It's uh, like a 4.8 star out of five. I think we have almost 400 reviews. So it's, just, it's awesome. Pretty, pretty proud of that. Um, so the book contains all of our curriculum, what we teach, right? And like you said, it's when we go to clients, we talk to clients, when we work with them, it's, it's customized. It's not a one size fits all approach. Hey, listen, we get, uh, give us a chance to get to know you, find out what makes you tick, find out your culture, and then we're going to help you uh, discover what you need in order to take your people from leaders to commanders. And that's what we do at Mission Six Zero is we forge commanders. And one of the ways we do that is, you know, um, not just for businesses, but also for, for individuals is we take them through a deliberate discomfort challenge. It's a 60 day challenge. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's unbelievable. Testimonials through the roof. It's very, very difficult. How it works is, you know, we believe, um, in the total warrior model. So it's sort of the whole person concept mm -hmm. uh, that we created. We say, you know, mental, physical, spiritual, social, emotional, and professional, those six domains kind of, uh, compass the, the whole person, total warrior. And so um, for the Deliver Discomfort Challenge, we say mentally, we want you to read one book every single week to completion. So we start on Monday, you have that book finished by by Sunday night. And uh, we'll give you the books, you know, if, if you don't have books that you want to read, recommendations and so forth. Or if you have a stack of books that you've been meaning to read for a long time, you read those books. Physically, We'll give you a workout program. You work out twice a day. You do a, a gym-based workout, very difficult, 60 minutes. And then a cardio-based workout, very difficult, 60 minutes. Cardio consists of running, rucking, hiking, and sprinting. Uh, we do it every single day, like I said. Uh, we'll give you a nutrition plan. And if you want to upgrade to meals delivered to your door, you know we'll do that. Uh, spiritually. We have a mindfulness exercise created by a Navy SEAL commander, John McCaskill on our team. And so when I heard about mindfulness the first time, you know, I didn't know what it was. I looked it up, didn't understand it, didn't pursue it, thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Not until John McCaskill really showed me what it was and, and you know, explained to me and, and helped me go through it did I really buy in. Not until somebody with credibility like John McCaskill did I say, all right, mindfulness, there is something here. And so we practice mindfulness every day. In the first week, it's five two-minute exercises. So it's pretty easy. Well, maybe not easy for some. You have your own discomfort level. In the last week, we do 40 minutes every day. Uh, socially, we ask you to reach out to uh, a friend, a past friend, somebody you've had a falling out with and reconnect and have a meaningful conversation. 
And um, sometimes that'll be 10 minutes. Sometimes you'll find yourself talking for two or three hours with this person. And it can also be a new person. Uh, emotionally, we have a gratitude journal that you write in every single day. And then professionally, you watch one of our masterclass videos. Uh, so we have a, a 66 video masterclass, deliberate discomfort masterclass. You watch a video every single day. It's about 15 minutes in duration. And then you also, at the end, post something that impacted you from the challenge online. And the power of the deliberate discomfort challenge is, is the tribe, the people that have your back. Many times, and I've been through this challenge twice, many times as I've gone through the challenge, you know, I've been tired, I've been sore, I didn't want to do it, you know? And if I was doing this by myself, I might say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this workout off, or I'm going to go easy today, or I'm not going to, you know, follow my meal plan, I'm going to have a cheat meal. But the people that are going through it with you, working through their challenges, you know, doing their run in negative 20 degree weather in Minnesota, um, guys that are 73 years old, knocking out all of their burpees that they had to do that day. You know, somebody who's pushing their kids in a stroller um, and doing their run because that's the only way they could get it in during that day. When you see all these people like going out of their way to succeed for each other, you tell yourself, well, I can't fail them. And that is the same feeling that I had in the military when we were in combat, you know, playing football in college in the locker room. And it's tough to get that camaraderie back in, in, you know, in the world when you left it, when you're off a team and that's where you can find it again is through, through mission six zero through the deliberate discomfort challenge. And, uh, it's powerful, man. It's a great program. I encourage everybody to sign up. Yeah, man. I love that. And, and, and I love what you've got going there. I mean, and part of it for me is that, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at this through my own lens. And I know for me, when I get comfortable, it's good for a little bit. You're like, oh man, I can take a breather. I can rest oh, from yeah. it. The longer it goes on, the more miserable I become. Mood changes. I get depressed. I get feeling down. It's when I've got a goal, something to shoot for, and it's just out of, like just a little bit out of reach. And I got to really push for it that I find that like everything comes back to life. And that's what this sounds like. It's like, you know, in all those areas of your life, you're pushing a little bit, you're getting that uncomfortable. And I love that you've got kind of the community thing going too, where, you know, you're not in this alone. There's that camaraderie that that's going. So I, love yeah, I can it. imagine, um, I mean, for you personally, you said you've been through it twice. What kind of, um, you know, and you're a guy who was, you know, pushed himself a lot. So even just doing this, what's some of the benefits you got out of it? Uh, well, you're hitting the nail on the head on so many levels, man. And and think about it also, like when you when you remember your life, you remember the hard times. Those those are the times that are memorable. Like when your kids come home from school and you're like, "What did you do today?" Nothing. It's because it was comfortable. It was weak. It is nothing to remember. But if your kids are getting pushed, like it's at practice, you know, or they're doing something. Oh man, dad, like they coach made us do these wind sprints today. It was awful. Well, there's something to talk about because it was hard. You know what I mean? I've done the challenge twice and I created the challenge because with COVID, you know, like all the gyms were closed. Um, my business was suffering significantly. Um, I was trying to figure things out, focusing on the professional domain, on, on business. What can I do? I let myself go physically. I could have done push-ups at home. I could have put some sort of makeshift thing together in my house. I could have run a lot more than, than I did at the time. I got overweight, man. I was like, uh, I was almost two, 240 pounds. And uh, I was like, looking at myself in the mirror, I was like, I gotta do something about this, ridiculous. 
And so I just created this challenge. I lost 34 pounds, you know, and I got down to a weight that I hadn't been at since high school. You know what I mean? It was maybe, you know, perhaps a little, little lighter than I, than I wanted to be, you know, but it's still like, it was addictive to like, to, to do hard things and to crush it. And, um, and, uh, so it's not just a physical workout. It's a whole person workout program, the books, you know, like you, for me, there's always a stack of books on my nightstand that, uh, just accumulate. And I'm like, Oh, I got to read this. Oh, I want to read this one. This is a good one. This is good. All of a sudden you got 40 books on your nightstand and you're like, Oh man, when am I going to get to these? And all of a sudden it's a little overwhelming. You just got to take action. You know, I read nine books each, you know, a book a week. You know what I mean? And that's how I process. I know a lot of people read faster and some people uh, do the audiobook thing to process information to each his own, whatever works. Uh, mindfulness, like, listen, if you haven't tried mindfulness, you think it's about to mumbo jumbo, it's not, man. This, this stuff works. I mean, it really helps you. It calms you down. It gets you focused. It's, it's powerful stuff. Uh, emotional, the journaling. I mean, it puts you in a different mindset in life. You're living an attitude of gratitude. And it's, it's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. Uh, socially, I reconnected with 60 people uh, on each of the challenges that I did that I haven't talked to since some of them since high school. You know what I mean? It was really cool to, to reconnect. Granted, not all the conversations were wonderful conversations, um, but some of them were amazing. A lot of them were amazing. And then professional, that was a little different for me because I created the masterclass. So listening to myself on the video is a little different, but but I learned a lot, you know, even still I was teaching it, you know, which is interesting. And then uh, the tribe, that's, I think for yeah. me, that was the most powerful thing is, is how powerful this tribe came together. I didn't expect that. And it was, uh, it was shocking. Yeah, man, that's beautiful stuff. I love that. And, you know, as we, um, <clears throat> before we wrap, I, I got one question I've got to ask you, because again, I was looking at mission six zero. One of the things that really struck me is on your team, you've got all these incredible ex-military guys, right? High level guys like yourself. And then in addition, you've got a whole team of scientists that are in there as well. So just real quick, just tell me and, and everybody listening, what, you know, what the benefit of that is having these two very different, um, you know, these two teams or this one team, I should say, with people from very, very different backgrounds that have come together. Great question. So when I first started Mission Six Zero, it was all veterans, all military guys, and you know, unbelievable guys. I mean, Medal of Honor guys, Delta Ranger, Green Beret, SEALs. You know, amazing stories. And and a few times after my my guys would speak, talk about their experiences, and, and teach, they would get questions like, "Well, how did you do that?" Or you know, uh, "Can you teach me how to do that?" You know, and, and, and they answered, well, I don't know how I did it. I just did it. Or I, I relied on my training. You know, it was kind of a BS answer. It's kind of an answer that they, they didn't know how to answer is why they, they responded in that way. And, uh, and I realized as a company, we could do a lot more. We could, we could add more value than that. We need to be better than that. And uh, I talked to some of the scientists that I knew and I said, listen, this is sort of a problem, a dilemma that I'm facing and I'm thinking that you guys could help. And so I brought in PhDs, researchers, experts, these scientists into the team to combine forces with the veteran. 
And so, and that's how I constructed my book, Deliver Discomfort is, you know, we talk about this veteran experience and then we bring the science behind it and say, okay, listen, you might not, you know, tackle a suicide bomber or get hit by an IED going to work, you know, um, however, the lessons learned here can be applied in these theories and you can take this to your personal or professional life in this way. And then the third section in each chapter is a practical application. Like, okay, you know, this is what, you know, Jason McCamp, I've done with a client. We've taken these themes and these lessons, you know, and, and these theories, and this is what we've done with them um, in this way. And so it kind of veteran science, practical application, the so what, the now what behind everything in a very relatable and digestible way. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I love that you're seeing both sides of it, right? And the value in both sides, which is, uh, which is incredible. So as, as we end, I want to get one, one final bit of advice from you or lesson or one of the big things that you've learned in your life that, that you want to let everybody know. Thank you for asking that. You know, it's to me, the lesson I want to impart and let everybody know is deliberate discomfort is, is the way to be happy. It's counterintuitive, you know, making yourself deliberately, intentionally, voluntarily do hard things. Why would anyone do that? You do it because you want to improve. You want to grow. You want to be better. That's what life is all about. If you don't choose hard things, hard things are going to choose you. You might be thinking, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What I'm saying is, if it ain't broke, break it and make it better. And that's the deliberate discomfort mindset. Deliberate discomfort. That's such a simple concept. Yet so many don't take advantage of that. We just want to stay comfortable. So it's really just about constantly pushing yourself, about finding your boundaries and then going past them and then creating new boundaries and then going past them. And, you know, as Jason not only says, but as he demonstrates, that's the only way to make yourself better, make yourself stronger. And it takes a lot of honesty and a lot of commitment to do that. Two of the sacred seven core values, honesty and commitment. And, you know, after talking to Jason, I decided to get more uncomfortable regularly. And I will tell you this, it does suck at first, but the gains are definitely worth it, right? Getting uncomfortable really does eventually become comfortable. You just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And men, we know that this is how we're wired, right? When we don't have a big challenge, we get bored and worse, we get soft. So get comfortable being uncomfortable, as Jason says. So now go also check out Jason's site. Remember, it's at mission60.com. There's some great info there and make sure to grab a copy of his book. Love the book, Deliberate Discomfort, How U.S. Special Operations Forces Overcome Fear and Dare to Win by Getting Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. I want to thank Jason Van Camp for being here today and for his service and for being such an inspiration and telling us his story today. And I want to thank you for listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes today now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And I'm Eric Rogel, and I'm honored to be with you, to be your brother by your side on your hero's journey. I'll talk to you next time. Don't you know that you're a grown-up?
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> so, no. Right.